Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome or welcome back to the LOH Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and our YouTube channel where you can access all of our message content. Most importantly, I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. I've really enjoyed sharing this series with you this Christmas. I I love our Christmas times every year. I've really enjoyed this one, going into Isaiah's uh, view of, of, of the Messiah coming and all that that means, looking at Christmas through the eyes of Isaiah. Um, that's what we've been looking at through the month of December, and this is our last message in the series. I encourage you to get those tickets and come out and be with us. Our Christmas Eve services are always really special, and uh, this one promises to be as well. So today I'm going to conti- uh, close this series with a message from our series, Life in the Glory, Christmas Through the Eyes of Isaiah, and I want to talk about the joyous life in Jesus Christ, the joyous life in Jesus Christ. Once again, summing up this idea of prophetic vision, the, the prophets of old uh, are still speaking today. Isaiah is, is considered in, in, uh, in what is called the, the major prophets. Uh, there are the major prophets and the minor prophets. It has nothing to do with the substance of their message. It just has to do with how long their message is. The major prophets uh, are the big books of the Old Testament prophetic books. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, minor prophets with a major message would be like Micah and Amos and uh, uh, what, Haggai and Zephaniah, like one chapter, two chapters, some of these. But their message was powerful. To, to sum up the prophetic vision, I've talked about these men of God seeing the plan of God unfolded before their eyes in their spirit, hearing words, seeing images, seeing visions, having dreams, but they never had a time chronology. They never had a time stamp. And Peter goes on to tell us that they searched intently when this would happen to them. They would search intently with all sincerity trying to find out and decipher the time. When would this happen? And they came to understand that although their message was for at their time in some part, they were serving generations to come. As Isaiah, what we're talking about today and what I've been preaching over the last month, talking about what Jesus would bring, Isaiah was seeing the broadest understanding of the whole ministry of Jesus from birth to the ascension to the second coming. He saw all that 600 plus years before any of that came to be. Imagine you and I living in 1323 and having a powerful vision, dream, impression from God. So powerful, so vivid, so real. And you began to share it with the people in your life and explain what you saw as best as you knew how. You would surely think that what you saw was about to happen and you'd be talking about it like that. But 1323 is the amount of time and years that Isaiah was 
preaching before Jesus was born in, in the same amount of time that 1323 is in distance from us living today. In 1323, Saint, uh, Thomas Aquinas was, was canonized. In 1323, Louis I was king of France. And can you imagine at that time having stuff revealed to you so vivid, so real, and you're talking about it, but it doesn't take place until now. That was Isaiah's time. And look how vivid these pictures and visions and dreams and sermons that he's preaching in hundreds and hundreds of years go by. So point being made, number one, some things might take a while. <laughs> so sometimes when we get something so strong, so real, in the right now, wow, if it doesn't happen by Thursday, think 1323. But say it anyway, because somebody in our time is going to run with it. Somebody ran with it. What we've been looking at and what I've been unfolding here in preaching should help us to realize that you and I have a just as the scriptures say credibility in our message if we preach the message of the Bible. If we just get into stuff and start speculating and arguing with people, that's one thing. But the power of the Holy Spirit is, is released into the unbeliever, into the skeptic, when we have a just as the scriptures say focus in our message. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're going to continue to do here. And that's where the power is. When we preach what the prophets said and we preach what the apostles said, we will be saying what God said and what God is saying. And what God is saying is where the Holy Spirit is moving. We are still in the days of Messiah and he lives today. And I want to close out this series focusing on the joy of life in the glory of Jesus Christ. He is a living presence. He's not just a historical figure. He's a living presence. We have a living Savior. We have a living Word. We are a living witness to the living one. And we are a living community. There is a dynamic of kingdom breath and power when the people of God come together. I found out, unfortunately, last week we had all kinds of internet trouble, which wasn't our fault, and it's going to take a while to get it rectified. Needless to say, those who were watching online didn't get the whole loaf of bread. And unfortunately, that's, that's tough. And even when you get the whole loaf of bread online, let me tell you, my friend, it's never the same as being in the house of the Lord with the people of God. And... And I haven't started yet, but I'm going to keep on going with the introduction. The people that are making it their mission statement to say you don't need to be in the house of God, they are listening to the liar. And they're telling his lies in the name of some newfangled revelation. And that is, it's going to get you in trouble, bro. It's going to get you in trouble. It's going to get you in trouble. It is. All right, so let's get into the word today. Isaiah is six plus centuries seeing this amazing, amazing story unfold, God's plan. 
I say it like this. Isaiah saw joy to the world offered in imagery which the people who were in the word of God would understand. We're going to look today at a passage from Isaiah 9 that announces the coming of Messiah and the, the birth of the Messiah and the way that he describes the kind of joy that will come he uses imagery that if you do not know the word of God, you're not going to get it. Once again, intro part number two. Not knowing the word of God is a huge disadvantage for people who want to know God. Because the way God speaks is through that book. And to, and to understand, to, to know for certain that you're hearing from God. If it's not backed up in the book or comes from the book, forget it. Don't follow it. Feelings, signs, numbers, dinks. That's one thing. But a valid unchanging word from God that you can bank on and bet your life on comes from that book and God wants some of us to catch up catch up catch up we're not going to dumb down here we're going to go deeper here we're going to go deeper here as a matter of fact the second week of January on Wednesday night we're going to go deeper in the word of God and open up an opportunity starting our Wednesday night services coming up in January we're going to get deep in the book and so for those of you who are hungry for that we invite you to join us. There's intro number two. Here we go. Isaiah 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Again, he's looking out over a mountain range. He has no t understanding of the peaks, the distance between. And he's watching this. He's seeing this in real time of another time. And he is as if it already happened. And it hasn't even happened yet. The people living in darkness have seen, past tense, a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Well, he's not talking about the sun. The sun's out every day. Something... Some other kind of light has come. You have enlarged, and, and then he reports what he sees, and he says, this is what God is doing in this. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. We're talking about the life and the glory of Jesus and the joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. This light, whatever it would be, this light, whatever it is, was the gateway to joy for the people who were suffering in darkness. This imagery of light and darkness, the darkness always re represents evil's hand having an upper hand. The pressing down of people that should be lifted up. The, 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 the darkness dominating cities and nations and individuals this darkness is winning and he sees this light and this light shines on those under the darkness and it's a bridge to joy what is that people under dark things 
there's this coming light that's come, it, come out of, it's in daytime, but it's darkness with people. And all of a sudden there's this great light and they see it and it's a doorway, it's a gateway to Simha. Is the Hebrew word Simha. It means, it means if you take the word bliss and add fullness to it, if you take the word cheer and up it to its highest maximum, cheerfulness, if you take joy and fill it up, joyfulness, Simha, he goes, wow, this light has opened a bridge for people to live in ultimate bliss. That's what he sees. And he explains why. He shows what the bridge is. The bridge is the birth of a child. A son, somebody's son. He says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. This blissful, festive-filled joyfulness is coming in this birth. In this son given, he's describing the life of this coming one who in the coming of this one is going to bring into the world what is not there. Everyone's under the oppressive darkness even in a sunshiny day. And some other kind of light is coming and it dawns and and for those who see it and for those who receive it, the result is an increase of simha. It's an increase of something you can't get from anyone, anywhere, but the birth of this child. Isaiah sees this and then he describes how this joy is birthed through this child. There's a birth of a child, but what this child brings through his birth and his life, this light, will make joy happen in these kind of ways. And then he uses this biblical imagery that if you don't know these things in the Bible, you're not going to get it. And perhaps there's one or two of you who may not know these references here, and so I'm going to help you and unpack them a little bit. So he describes this simha, this joy, first of all, as a joy of light over darkness, where darkness is always symbolic of dark powers pressing, holding people back, breaking people down. Have you ever sat at a traffic light and just looked a lot of times the facial expressions on people, people standing in line at the store, people just walking along their way. You ever notice there's a common expression a lot of times with people just like, you ever see that look? I, I have that look a lot. I'll look at myself in the mirror and go, whoa, dude. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> right? It's like there's that thing over you. Well, this is joy that comes from light overing what's over you. Creating a bridge, and he describes it like this. You know, like in the battle at Midian. You know, like in Midian's defeat. You know what I mean? Uh-uh. 
you know? That's why we need the word of God. People are telling us, you know, you can detach from the Old Testament. Not if you're going to preach the apostolic message that is the scriptures fulfilled from what the prophet said. You know, this joy in your life, it's going to be like in the day of Midian's defeat. Here, you're going to do for these people what happened then. You're going to shatter the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor, every warrior's boot, every, every demonic army will be used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fueled for the fire. In other words, this child is going to bring about an, an invasion in the war that's been pressing men and women down in darkness. A light's going to dawn, and it's going to be like what happened in Midian's defeat. Many of you who are in the Word, you know where we're going. You're thinking Gideon. Gideon. What happened in Gideon? Gideon in the battle against the Midianites. Okay, so hold that thought. Hold that thought. We're going to come back to there. This light is going to come and invade, whereas darkness had already invaded. This light and this birth is going to come invade this darkness in such a way that there's going to be a liberation that happens just like when Gideon and the army shattered the jars with the light that had the candle in it and they shouted for the Lord and Gideon like that. It's going to be like that. But let me just jump in the time capsule here and shoot 700 years forward and this carpenter preacher goes to church on the Sabbath day. And Luke talks about this and says on the Sabbath, Jesus is teaching and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit. See that? Not just physically crippled, not some physical, this is a spiritual oppressive spirit that's crippled this woman. Listen, she's a, listen, she's a synagogue girl. She's a synagogue girl. She's in the daisies, mishnets. She's a synagogue girl. But she was crippled by a spirit for 18 years. That's living in the shadow of death. That's the rod on your shoulder, pressed, literally. This is a literal. Luke, the Holy Spirit has given this literal. The child has grown. He is on his mission, anointed of God. She's bent over and she can't straighten up at all. I love Dr. Luke. He gives you all the details. I'm surprised he didn't give us our social security number. If you read Luke, you see he does it all the time. Not so scared on me, but he, when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, see T.D. Jakes didn't make this up. Thou art loosed. That's the King James. Jesus said it first. Woman, thou art loosed. He says, woman, listen, you are set free from your infirmity. He said it. He put his hands on her 
And the next word says, and immediately she straightened up and Simha happened. She praised God. She praised God. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, the Bible guys there got upset because Jesus did that on the Sabbath and they had redefined over by six by overthinking scripture out of fear of uh, polluting their life, had made the, the, the fence between God and them so far apart that what, what the, they, they looked at that as working on the Sabbath day. And uh, if people are wondering if whether we, people should have church on Christmas or not, I've seen those on Facebook. Um, here's the issue. People's lives being changed, whether it's on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Sometimes you can have more people on Christmas Eve than some people have. Anyway. anyway. And, and the Lord said, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not, listen, then should not this woman who is the daughter of Abraham, she's a synagogue girl. She's church kid. She's in the faith. She, she's in the covenant. Should not a woman in the covenant, when the light comes into the darkness, should not she have happened to her something that God promised 700 years ago so she could experience Simha in the house of God? Come on, someone. When he had said this, all the opponents were humiliated. Oh, well. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Do you see that? Yeah. Now, not all infirmities come from the devil. We have that issue too. Not all sickness, not all physical battles are demonic. We give the devil way too much credit. And a lot of times, we, I got the, you know, we can go down the, you know, the devil road. How do you know if it's something physical or something demonic? The word immediately comes into play. Immediate. Your sins are given, forgiven immediately. You don't have to like keep working it up, keep pretending until it's real, or keep faking it till you make it. When it's, when it's, a, when it's something from, from demonic, when God moves, it's gone. So, we have to be careful on that. Because there are people who get under things, one side of the road or the other side of the road, get in a ditch on either side. How many of you know what I'm talking about? This is a picture though of what is going to happen when, when the king comes in fullness in the day of the Lord. Every yoke, every, every frailty, every, every, everything everybody struggles in and, and goes through and battles, the, the things, that, the, the intensities of battle that certain people face um, and others don't. We have to be very careful with words we say with people. Like, uh, you know, for instance, you know, I've been, I've been pastoring in the ministry for 31 years, and I've, and I've been here uh, for 28, something like that, 
seven? I don't know, forget. Um, so, and, and those of you who, who have been in long seasons of working the plow on, in a field of your calling, you've had moments of ups and downs and you've gone through things or, you, or you've had long battles to fight and, and you've stood through things. You know, uh, when, contexts, things have deeper meaning and, and weight to them in explanation. So like if, if, you're, if you're in something for 20 some years and someone's been in it 10 minutes and they come to you and say, oh, don't worry about it. The Lord won't give you anything more than you can handle. It, it's, like a, it's like a kid that's uh, been at boot camp for like two days compared to a guy that's come back from Afghanistan with one leg gone. And the kid, because he ran up a hill and didn't puke, is telling this guy, don't hang in there. So I hesitate to just, I'm, I'm, I've, got, I've got some dear friends in the ministry right now that have stood faithful to preach the word in a church that's going away from the word of God and, and, and they're not sure if they're going to be able to stay in that church because the people are going, want to go another way. They want to go to Egypt. And, and so, and they've been in it a long time. And they're faithful. And they're asking for prayer. And I watched some people responding to their prayer requests with some of these Lucky Charms cliches. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, geez. You know what? So when I'm talking about this stuff about Jesus lifting demonic oppression off people, he, he immediately lifts us out of defeat, but he doesn't promise to lift us out of the battle. We are in a battle, friend. And listen, be careful what you say to people who are generals when you're a buck private. There are, there are, there are, I don't know, I, I don't know, I, don't, I, I could go for an hour on that. So when I'm talking about joy, the joy that comes in light over darkness, there's a lot of weight and context to what I'm saying. And I don't have time to, to hit all the sidebars and all the pieces, but I'm not just saying claim it till you get it. I'm not just saying fake it till you make it. I'm not saying that at all. And added to that, let's go on. When I'm talking about joy, I'm not, con I'm not talking about superficial giddiness. Do you I'm talking about being in some sort of hardship that's like solitary confinement for, for years beyond when you were hoping it would be over. And then all of a sudden the door opens. And you come out. I'm talking about that. And I'm saying all these things knowing that my aunt is battling cancer treatments and people I know that have, that w that have more faith than I've ever had that are fighting things I've never faced and I don't want to face them. And I've even prayed I don't ever experience them. Who are you? And you're watching these people still with a sweet spirit and they still believe Jesus and it's more than a song. It's a stand. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to make sure you get that. I don't want you to think I'm talking some easy street thing. You go out here and the wind blows your umbrella upside down. You just paid 19 bucks for it and it's ruined and you quit the faith. I'm not talking about that. 
I'm not talking about that. Sometimes shake your hand in the greeters thing and you're going to go look for another church because we're not friendly enough. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something weighty that you can actually experience a joy in something whether anything seems to shift. This child, this massive Messiah is with you now. The joy not only of light over darkness, but the joy of battle spoils and victories celebrated. And once again, I'm speaking of the joy of song that comes from the World War II vets that come back from the battles in Verdun. Out of the ditches that they had to dig when the mortar shells were splitting massive evergreen trees into like twigs. I'm talking about these people coming back from that with a song to sing because the war's over and they want it in God. I'm not just talking about, oh man, you know what I'm saying? You, you with me? They will be glad in your presence as they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest as warriors. I didn't say wimps that don't know where their Bible is. I said warriors. Do you hear what I'm saying? As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. When, when uh, Wesley penned Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and, uh, and, and I think Wesley penned, Oh, come let us adore him. He talks about coming before him joyful and triumphant. These are people that have walked through the wars and have watched their king win the battles for them. And that's the point, that this child who's coming, what Isaiah has seen as he stands upon one of the peaks of the numerous mountain peaks that he sees with no time stamp, he's saying, in the midst of the future, they will see a light that doesn't come from natural means. It comes from this birth of this child and it awakens them to this ultimate level of joy and it's going to be like Gideon and the band it's going to come in a way to break the rod of the oppressor off their shoulders it's going to be where they celebrate the victories and the treasures there's going to be a reversal of fortunes by the birth of this child reversal what had been lost in the war he is going to reclaim. He's going to take captives, captive, and distribute gifts to people. He's going to take captives under the dark and in the light, capture them, a different kind of captivity, to himself, and then share the plunder with them. Now, for those who know his word, they're going, oh my God, light over darkness. That's like in the land of Goshen when Egypt was getting annihilated by the judgment of God. There was light in the land of Goshen. That's what he's saying. When everything is shaking and baking in the world, when God's hammer's coming down, God's people will experience a light. Light. 
And God is going to come in a way that will seem very insignificant. This child coming into the world, when you, when you don't lift the needle off the record and you let the whole record play across every band, this child will also become this man who will also become this servant, who will also become this suffering one, who will be beaten beyond human recognition. And in his death, he will purchase this victory that will establish you and distribute the treasures to you and and he will come back to life after seeing the suffering of his soul he will stand in the gap for many and then the very next thing on the record Isaiah says so sing sing don't sorrow sing because what's going to happen it's going to seem like God isn't with him either. Just like Gideon. The Midianites had oppressed the people of God for a generation because of their own sin. They didn't listen to God. And Gideon is, the, in his eyes, the smallest of the clan of his people. And he's digging a place in a wine press in order to hide the things they have left, lest the Midianites take them too. And while this is going on, this is so deeply embedded in his psyche, this is his definition. And an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. What? He thought he was talking to someone behind him. He goes, well, if the Lord, listen, have you ever said this or thought it? I've thought it. I've said it too. If the Lord is with us, then why after building this building and going more than a quarter of a million dollars in debt and the 200 we have have been filtered down to 90, then why did that happen? If the Lord is with me, then why did that happen? Well, if the Lord is with me, then why did that happen? Have you ever been on that bus ride? And when you're on that bus ride, someone comes along and says, I got a Bible verse for you. <laughs> I had so many prophetic words come to me in 19-whatever. And I thought, and I didn't say it to anybody, but I thought, if I get one more prophetic word... If someone comes to me with one more cliche. That's Gideon. Seriously? If the Lord's with us, then why this? And he says, go in this your strength. You know what this of your strength is? Here's what he says. The Lord is with you. Your friends aren't no more. Your leaders aren't no more. The numbers aren't anymore. The money isn't anymore. Nobody, but listen, I want to remind you, the Lord is with you. So Isaiah sees on this mountain peak, here's what that light is. This child is God and he's going to be with them just like he was with Gideon and it's going to seem insignificant. His ministry is going to seem insignificant when he manifested in his own flesh. Our own people won't even receive it. But those who do, it'll be like Gideon, who with 300 men, God told him to put a candlelight in a jar, all 300 of them, get up on top of the hill and shout and charge the camp and smash the jars. And you know what? That isn't going to save anybody. 
But here was the thing. It wasn't the jar, it wasn't Gideon, and it wasn't the light. It was the Lord. And after those 300 men wiped that army out and took everything back, everything back, there was some Simha in that group. That's right. The victory that God promises you is like that. It's not about what your family wasn't. It's not about what you haven't done. It's not about what you failed at. It's not about all that long list of regrets and opportunities and moments where you missed the bus, intentionally said no, all that stuff. When God comes along with another day in, in a new dawning of your life when you're under the oppression of all that, even self-imposed, and he says, hey, you, the Lord is with you. All of our victories come that way. What's interesting is when Gabriel appears to Mary, you got a couple more minutes? Do you have a couple more? Because I'm taking about 20 more. So when the Lord appears to Mary in Gabriel, it's interesting. He says the same thing to her that he said to Gideon. The Lord is with you, favored one. And she began to wonder, what does this greeting mean? And then he explains it to her. He explains it to her. I preach myself way past where I'm at on the screen. Can you help me out? Where am I? Go to the next one. I'll find myself again. And there it is. And Philip found himself in Samaria. And Tim found himself in Isaiah 52. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. Watch this. Here's the next one. Here's the next one. It's a joy. It's a joy of sins forgiven and forgotten. He says, listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. He sees this, Isaiah sees these watchmen up on top of this mountain and their feet are beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of those who are announcing all over the world to Israel, all over... The Lord reigns. And it's in the context of this great level mercy that's coming. Your watchmen lift up their voices together. They shout for what? Simha. When the Lord returns to Zion, that's the way of this child, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. He will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. He sees him coming. He sees him being born. He sees him dying. But then he sees the ripple effect that goes out past Israel into the Roman Empire, past the Mediterranean Sea, east to west, across the Atlantic, from sea to shining sea, as we'd say, even to the land where the buffalo roam and the deer and the antelope play. From north, south, east, and west, from here, there, and everywhere, this salvation goes forth, and it is a forgiveness of sins in such a degree that sins are not only forgiven, but they're forgotten. Because the way this one who comes to destroy the yoke, this child who's born, he's born to die, and the way he forgives is described by David 
And Paul uses this in Romans 4, describing a psalm that David writes, which is the 32nd psalm, but we know when he wrote it. David wrote what I'm going to share with you. David wrote what I'm going to share with you. Listen, not after he slipped up and said a bad word, whatever Hebrew bad word is, I don't know. Trying to forget the English ones. But after, after he had been in the Holy of Holies and God promised that God, pro, let, me, let me tell you, I'm going to pray. David was so overwhelmed with the blessings of God that, he, that he, he said to the prophet, I can't take the fact that I live in this great house and God lives in this tent. I can't take it. So I want to build him a house. And the prophet was so in tuned with the priest. The prophet was friends with David. Friends with David. So much so that he got self-anointed and said, do what's in your heart. The Lord's with you. Nathan walks away and God says, I didn't say that. Here's what I say. I don't need a house. Never did need a house. The heavens can't contain me. Go back and tell him, don't do what's in his heart. Nathan comes back in. Hold on a second. The Lord hath changed his mind. <laughs> we never blame ourselves, do we? I heard a guy one time say he had prayed that the Lord told him to move the youth meeting from Wednesday night to Sunday night. And then about a couple months later, after it flatlined Sunday night, he said, I've been praying the Lord told us to move it back to Wednesday. So anyway, <laughs> I've done that. I said, don't tell people that you prayed about it because the only way from there is down. Just say, let's just try something. What if we just try? It says, and God showed me. And then the next thing you're like going, hey. just say, let's just give this a whirl. What do you think? Want to just give it a whirl and see if it works? Probably won't, but let's just see if it does. So David has this time with God. God's moved by David's desire to build him a house. And you know what God does? God says, listen, I don't need a house, but I'll tell you what. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to take the household of David, and I promise to you that there will never be a time ever again in life in the world where someone won't sit on the throne of David, establishing your house forever. And out of that, David says, who am I and what is man? And he pens Psalm 8. Who is man that you so care for him? Do you know what David did after that? Not shortly after that. The most vulnerable time we have is after a great ministry from God, a great victory. When kings went out to battle, David stayed home. Right after this, you know what he did? He committed adultery. And then he conspired to murder the husband of the woman he committed adultery with. And he got away with it for a while until that friend the prophet so all that happens he gets convicted he repents goes through a hardship in life because of what he did but but he prays and God forgives him and out of that out of that and Paul uses all the psalms all the psalms that he could use to point to God's mercy all of them he picks that one and in the book of Romans, he uses that one so that all of us or any of us who've done something like that one can know that God 
is so merciful. And David in the Hebrew starts out that psalm and says, Oh, the simha of the man whose sins have been forgiven. Is it possible? Listen, while you and I may experience the joy of forgiveness, there are people who might even be in our church or in somebody's church or in a ministry or are kept from stepping out into the ministry because only they and God and the devil know about that sin. And when they go to step up to pray, step up to believe, step up to win the battle, that sin comes up in their consciousness and that sin is reminded by the devil himself and that sin is the sin that maybe even Job's friends and maybe even your own brothers, maybe even your own household brings that to say, how can you? The word to you that can birth joy even in someone who's done that thing is David. And Paul uses that sin and that verse to bring hope to the hopeless who are under the darkness in the house of the Lord. Bent over like the synagogue girl by the demonic oppressor that for 18, maybe 28, I've talked to people that long past 18 years are still carrying that thing. Here's the word of the Lord to you. This is why I'm here today. To tell you this, that David says, oh, the bliss, oh, the joy of the person that the Lord has forgiven of their sin. That word means to not only say it to you, but lift it off you, the guilt of it, the guilt of it, off and gone. And a promise from God, I will never remember it again. Can you imagine if all the anointings that we want God to bring to the church, all of the things we want God to do in the world, I'll tell you the one thing that will cure so many things is that kind of forgiveness and mercy offered and lived and released in the family so that people might want to join the family. Come on, somebody. When you believe it, I'll get a standing ovation for that instead of... My sin... My sin I'm not talking about somebody else, I'm talking about mine. You got yours? My sin and then he interrupts himself and goes, 
Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross. And I bear it, I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Would you stand? Oh, my soul. I want to sing it one more time. Oh, the bliss. That's what I'm talking about. The angels. The angels that appeared to Isaiah in sermon one that we talked about. Let's go look at me. Look at me. They do this every week. <laughs> and every week I wish there was a, I don't know, a different way or something. The angels, the seraphim, the burning ones, the manifestation of their brilliance caused Isaiah the prophet to say, I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips, I have no business in this place. Six hundred thirty some years later, are these shepherds out in no man's land, nowhere land. Nobody's thinking of Bethlehem Ephrata, except that contemporary prophet Micah, 600 years back with Isaiah. I know, I can imagine that they could have FaceTimed, hey, I know where he's going to be born. You're never going to believe it. He's going to be born in the, in the backwoods speck of nowhere. But it's the same nowhere that David came from. And he's coming from the days of eternity. He's coming. And she who is in labor will give birth to the one. And Israel will be isolated and, 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 and withdrawn from until she who is in labor. And I see it. And these angels appear to these shepherds. And their glory shines all around them and they're afraid. It says they are exceedingly afraid. And the angels say, and this is what God's been saying ever since, do not be afraid. Heaven's word to earth, I bring you good news that will cause great joy. For all the people, for those who did this sin and that sin, and those under the oppressive hand of darkness, and those that are long forgotten, those who have been ostracized by society, those who have more medicine bills than money to pay, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on, and those who don't have friends, and those who aren't welcome in, and those who are always overlooked, for all people, great joy, because today, in this town, Isaiah's 
message, Micah's word, the message of the major and the minors, the promise made in the garden, the promise that was made to Abraham and to David. Today is the day that light dawns in the world. A savior has been born for you, is Christ the Lord. Tells them about the sign, how to find them, where to find them. And you know what they do? This is what spirituality is. You want to know what a Christian is? You want to know what it is to be a Christian? This is what it is to be a Christian. What the shepherds did. They heard about what, where, and they said, let's go. Christianity is going to the place that God says go to. Whether it's go meaning standing or whether it's go meaning going, action based on your belief in God's directive creates the fulfillment and the intended effect of his promise. And when you see the other side, the shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which was just like they had been told. That is the walk of faith. Action based on belief that's sustained in the confidence of the one who spoke what you believe, God himself. We have a record of centuries before the birth of people stirred by the Spirit, inspired, moved by God to tell us we have a witness and a record and if we stay in the scriptures and point to what God has done, God has power to move upon the people of the earth and let God do the saving, we do the presenting. Don't change his word, he doesn't need our help. Last slide. Brennan Manning is one of my favorite authors. The late Brennan Manning. In his uh, book, The Relentless Tenderness of Jesus, in the chapter about Christmas being massive, he says this. I wrote this, Christmas massive awaiting us, awaiting us. And Manning challenges us with this. I want to close with this. Make ready for my Christ whose smile like lightning sets free the song of everlasting joy that now sleeps in your flesh like dynamite. God awaits my faith to go from seeing it to pursuing it. And in the pursuit is the explosion of power. Because Paul said, in the gospel is the dunamis, the dynamite, the power of God to everyone who believes it. Who says, you know what? I need a lot more joy. And there's joy in this Jesus thing. And I am going to the place, friend, Let's right now go to the place. Jesus, 
Christ, Son of God, Son of Righteousness, with healing in your wings. You speak and tombs empty. You speak and demons run. They would even rather drown themselves than stand in front of your face. You speak and little kids with fevers have the fevers disappear. You speak and withered hands become normalized. You speak and paralytics get up and start walking by faith the rest of their days. You speak and things that are dark become light. You speak and things that could never be come into being. Lord, we exalt you in this place. We pray today, we praise you, Lord. We pray for the power of the gospel to, to not only be ignited in our life, but explode, but explode in our life. And, and I pray, I pray more than, than I pray for anyone else. I pray for everyone with intensity, but more than anyone else, I pray for my brother, for my sister, for my friend, that you're in a long and weary war. You're, you're so weary that you don't even want to talk. When people ask you how you're doing, you're so tired of telling them. You're so tired of having to once again make your whole life about the struggle. When people talk to you, they don't talk about this, they don't talk about that. It's always about what you're defined by, by the chronic struggle. And it, it's intended to mean well, people care, but you are just sick and tired of being the synagogue girl, being the synagogue guy, being the man with the withered hand. 18 years, 34 years, you've paid all to the doctors and you're worse than better. And you're just tired of the long, weary war. I pray for you. We pray for you today. If God passes all of us by, may he not pass you by. May he give you what only heaven can give. May he bring into your being. May he bring into your being the greatest sense of an awareness that God, Emmanuel, is with you, my friend. That he's with you, Jesus. Jesus. My friend, if, if, if you're watching this and you're those people in ministry or like them or in a marriage or in a job or in a situation and the, and the, go, and the, getting, out, and the getting out looks real inviting. I can't, I can't judge you. I've been there. Mm, Jesus. Mm.
You're not defined by the war. You're not defined by the words. You're not defined by the, the unfruitful field. You're not defined by crop failure. You're not defined by weekend prognosticators and evaluators who've never walked close to God. You're not defined by those who love the world more than they love the word. You're not defined by how you feel in the dark places. You're not defined you're not defined by God by the dumb things you say out of frustration that only you and God and the devil have heard and you're battered over it because you know you should have walked a higher way. You're not defined by all those moments. God defines you by a finished product that was finished before it started. God's hand is on your life. And even if they send you out of town, remember this, they sent the Son of God out to a cliff. And he wasn't ending, he was just getting started. Oh, come on! He was just getting started. So wherever you are and wherever you're sent, even if you're thrust out, even if you're thrusted out, they're helping you get closer to the destiny. Fools can be used by God. I pray over you. I pray over every person in this place right now that the mighty power of God, there would be such counsel that would be released to you that it would be wonderful. That it, the child that grows up inside of you would match the, 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 the power of the Son of God and the wisdom that's imparted to you would be wonderful. The counsel that you need, that the mighty God, the eternal Father, the Prince of Peace, all of your life, put it on his shoulders. All of your need, put it on his shoulders. Those that have battled chronic things, those that have been down low, those that are flooded with darkness and you're crying out for light, just put yourself on his shoulders and let the, let the Son of God carry you. Because with the government that he brings, peace comes along with it. And I just minister to you in the spirit right now in the name of Jesus. And I say to you, I say to you that the Son of God has stood up to stand with you, Emmanuel, over you and your ministry and your life and the war and the battle. Emmanuel is the banner over your life over your future, over your family, over your treasures, over your prayers. Emmanuel is the banner over your life. God might not be with them, but God is with you. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Dustin, and thanks for listening. If you live in the Western Maryland area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services or weekday gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environment, please visit myloh.church.